0: All right. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Bland. I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, it's good to good to be with you today. Uh, if you've been paying attention, you've been watching for the last uh, month or six weeks. Uh, I have not been here in the 133. I've been uh, at home. Uh, Actually, broadcasting from my own living room. Uh, You know, unlike most of COVID, I was actually here. So, you know, based on the advisory team, and uh, in fact, I'm actually getting tested a couple times a week right now as part of a study. uh, They they felt comfortable with me coming back to the 133. So, I'm actually glad to be here. I know it's weird that uh, you'd think, well, you could just preach to a camera anywhere, but uh, this feels a little bit more familiar to me after um, so many months of preaching in this room. So. Uh, it's good to be back with you, but what a weird time, right? We we continue to endure as as Mike uh, just talked about, um, and you know I wanted to update you quickly on on where things are. So we we are looking towards an in person gathering soonish, you know, but but we're we're wanting to listen to the advisory team and their wisdom, and so we're looking at some dates, uh, and we will announce those as soon as we have those. So uh, just keep your ears open. We'll have an in person gathering. We'll have all the regulations. You'll have to register distancing, masks, all of that will be part of it. So, um, so don't, don't think like we're just going to all cram in a room together as much fun as that would be. It would be a terrible thing to do right now. So, um, we are planning that. Also, I want to j- encourage you to just pray about Easter for us right now, because you know Easter, another Easter without um, gathering uh, is, is is challenging. So we're we're looking at a possibility of an in person gathering. Um, we would love the idea if the weather was the least tolerable outside to do uh, an in person gathering in a park if we can get a permit, and if not, in a in a location somewhere, a facility. Um, so please just just pray pray for us in that. Um, And then also long-term, you know, we we don't have a facility. We're looking around the the Coolidge Corner School. All the schools have um you know shut out outside groups uh and they've not said when outside groups are going to come back um and so you know we're hoping maybe in september we could get back into college corner school but the truth is um we don't know and with the virus like it is who who knows whether they'll open that up to us at that point or continue to uh play it uh on the on the safe side so you know we want to respect them uh, but at the same time we 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 need a facility uh, that when the time comes that we could gather again regularly, even even with social distancing, uh, we want to be able to do that consistently on a Sunday. So please uh, just keep that in your prayers, if you would. And so right now, I would say, as as Mike said, uh, you know, be involved. I know, I know, the last thing you want to do after being on on Zoom all week is is get on another Zoom call with your community group or get on a Zoom call for the Sunday gathering, um, but it is it is so important right now it's so essential that we stay connected to each other um you know i was talking to someone this week they were telling me uh you know before their cg they were just like i just you know not sure i want to go i don't feel like going i don't i don't uh, you know, I really struggle with C, with CG right now on Zoom, and I feel so disconnected, and, and it's exhausting looking at people on a screen. And then, you know, later on, they told me, uh, you know, after they'd been to their CG uh, next day, they they shared with me that it had blessed them, like in a, in an amazing way, that it had really encouraged them on a deep level. And so, uh, you know, I just want to encourage you: don't don't uh, don't pull back. Press in right now. This is the hard time, right? Through winter, spring is coming. It will come. The weather will break. We'll be able to get outside again. So now's the hard time just... Uh, persevere in that. And I encourage you to care for others in your group in that as well. Uh, If you're in the Bible reading group, I want to encourage you to get on Slack and uh, and share about your reading. How's it going? What are you reading? Uh, What verses is God speaking to you through? Um, So that that Slack channel is an important integration point for almost 100 people, almost 100 people that are in this New Testament reading group. So I want to encourage you, You know, and, and I guess maybe 30, 35 people have been active on that um, and so so get on there let, let your voice be heard encourage those that are sharing like that's one of the things you rob other people of as well when you don't get on there is you you can't encourage them for for what God's doing in their life or say hey that's a good thought I'm praying for you in that um, so get on that Today we're starting a new series uh, on the life of David, uh, and David's one of the most important characters in in the Old Testament, in the entire Bible, in fact. Um, and it's during this series that we'll see how how God used David, despite all of his flaws and his sins and brokenness, used David as a picture. Of, of King Jesus, who would come one day as a descendant of David. Uh, David was the greatest king in Israel's history, uh, and some of the most well-known stories in the Old Testament, in the Bible, are from David's life, and we'll hit those. Um, David's described in the Bible as a man after God's own heart, uh, which doesn't mean he was sinless, as I just said. he, he <laughs> We'll see some of that, like some big sort of billboard-type level sins that uh, where he morally fell. Um, But we're going to see uh, a model of patience, a model of faith, a model of suffering, a model of faithfulness, humility, devotion, obedience, love, and just a heart of worship for God that David had, um, and that's going to encourage us towards uh, t- towards Christ. And I, and I want to say this while we're looking at David, one of the things that I don't want to be super clear in is the message of this series about David is not Hey, look, David had faith. Go have faith like David. Uh, look, David defeated his giant. You should go defeat your giant. It too. Um, that's not the point. Everything we're learning about from David's life is meant to point us to God. Jesus, or help us understand ourselves more more fully, and so um, this is going to be the, the theme that we 're going to stick with, even while we do hit some of these stories. Um, now, stunning Bible narratives is a rich thing to do we, we haven 't done it a lot in the last couple of years. We did Exodus a few years ago. that was a, obviously a big journey. Uh, we spent uh, I guess about two thirds of a year in the book of Exodus, but we 're back in a narrative now, so I wanted to remind us of a couple of things about, or something about narratives that's super important. Um, it's important to understand narratives uh, for what they are. They're stories given to us. And one of the biggest mistakes that people make when they come to stories and, and reading stories in the Bible is, is uh, making a, being confusing prescription with description. Uh, And so, uh, something is prescriptive or descriptive. Prescriptive means that in the story, it's that what happens is meant to prescribe to you and I something we're supposed to do today, something we're supposed to model today. We're supposed to live that out today and act on that today. Um, and descriptive is obviously just simply telling us what happened. Uh, now, the problem with prescriptive is, is it, gets, it gets us in a lot of trouble. If you just simply go to every story in the Bible as prescriptive, prescribing what we should do, um, then, then, then we get into huge trouble early on. I mean, early. Genesis 4. Cain, it says, uh, Cain, now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out into the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Now, if we take that as prescriptive, it's uh, Cain killed his brother, go and do likewise, right? Or maybe, hey, look out, your brother might try to kill you, so be careful. And that would be reading it prescriptively. But, um, so how then do we tell whether a text is prescriptive or simply descriptive? So all texts are descriptive, but is it prescribing for you and I something we should emulate, something we should seek to, to, to apply to our own lives? And, the, and the, the real key is that we seek to understand how the rest of Scripture speaks to that story. So the story of Cain killing Abel. Number one, very specifically on multiple occasions and immediately, God condemns the act. So definitely the story is, is not meant to be prescriptive for us. So, But then throughout the rest of Scripture, it, it, you can't love your neighbor if you go and kill them in the field, right? So that's, there, there are a lot of—we we take the Scripture to interpret Scripture. So as we read the story of, of David's life and we read these very powerful stories in the Old Testament, we want to make sure that we're doing it fairly. We're reading it descriptively, but also understanding, okay, then how would— uh if there is something prescriptive here how do we apply it how do we know that that's the truth so um why do we study King David? The New Testament holds David up as, um, as the, the picture of Jesus in the Old Testament. So David was a king ruling over God's people. He was fallen, broken, and his, his term was limited. Uh, but one day it says he, God promises David that your descendant will rule over God's people forever in justice and righteousness. And, and people will thrive and live in a place of peace and so what we read about in David is, a, is pointing us towards Jesus um, and also just the uh, understanding God's ways, God's character, um, and about how uh, we can walk with our God humbly as David did. Now, as we get this up to speed, on, I want to get you up to speed on this story because we're jumping into the middle of a story, right? And, and to back up really quickly, uh, Moses had led God's people out of Egypt um, into, uh, into the wilderness and led them through the wilderness. They got the law from God at Mount Sinai, and he led them right up to the edge of the, the promised land. And for various reasons, their sins and uh, their rebellion, God did not let them go in. But Joshua, J- Moses's protege, led the people into the promised land uh, and to, to to set up the 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 uh, state the na- state of Israel in the promised land. Uh, following Joshua in his life, uh, b- began a horrible cycle of of sin among the people, rebellion against God, and then God would raise up a leader called a judge. A uh, military leader who would lead God's people to throw off their enemies and to to, to reestablish the worship of God uh, among the people of God in God's land, and so uh, that happened over and over again through the entire book of Judges. And there's famous judges like Gideon, uh, Deborah, and Samson that that we we you may have heard those names over the years. Uh, those were judges, and this cycle happens over and over and over again. And Samuel. Begin Samuel First Samuel is the story of Samuel, who, who was a bridging character. He's a bridging character who, who was called a judge. Uh, he was a military leader, but then he also helped establish the, the, the kingship, uh, uh, Israel's kingship under God's leading. So, um, you know, he was, a, he was a bridging character. So Samuel had led God's people uh, to throw off their enemies and to, to reestablish right worship in the land, in God's land. And all of a sudden, um, the people cry out and they say, hey, uh, Samuel, look at all the nations around us. They have a king. Why don't we have a king? You should give us a king. Give us a king so that we can be ruled like the nations around us. And God said, to, said through Samuel, tell the people I am their king. That the whole point of this thing is I am their king. God, I am Yahweh, their king, and they, you are my people. And I lead you through my prophet, uh, through Samuel, uh, and through priests and other leaders. And, but they refused. They wanted a king. They wanted an earthly, physical king to rule over them. And so uh, God, said, God gave them uh, Saul. And Saul was the first king of Israel, and he was picked largely visibly because he was tall and good looking and People looked at this guy and thought man he 's tall and good looking he must be a great king so they they loved Saul and Saul did really well for a while, but then Saul got off track really off track, um, and his life is a is a is a process of like melting down into sin and rebellion and folly while David, and this is the text where we're picking up today, that David begins to show up and God anoints David as the king, even though he won't reign for many years. He anoints him as the king and said, I'm doing something new through David uh, and I'm taking my hand off of you, Saul. Now, what I want us to see in this passage today, in this text, we're going to move pretty quickly through it, is uh, there's a lot of contrasts that happen here. A lot of contrast, and you'll see this, it shows up throughout scripture, but as I studied and kept looking at this passage, it kept coming up again and again, and that is that human thinking is not God's thinking. Human thinking is not God's thinking. Our, God's ways are not our ways. What seems natural and, and right and good for us in our own eyes is wrong and evil and, and disobedient in God's eyes. And, and the passage that's guiding all of this, this passage that this most clear in this is from Isaiah 55, verses eight and nine, where Isaiah says, uh, from speaking God, from God, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Um, so what we're gonna see is, in this moment, the contrast of God's thoughts and man's thoughts. We're going to see some kind of Saul and, and, and Samuel and David on the other side. So uh, the three contrasts are pretty simple uh, convenience versus obedience, outward versus inward, and uh, self dependent versus spirit dependent. So the first is convenience versus obedience. Convenience versus obedience. Now, convenience convenient means easy to use, favorable, easy, comfortable, uh, what is most natural or requires the least from us to uh, participate at or to do, at least in the moment. Uh, sometimes being obedient is convenient. It's, it's what's right in front of us, and it's, we just are to step through it. But other times, and I'd argue a lot of the times, obedience to God is not convenient. Uh, and this is where we, we run into Saul's life. First, back in chapter 13 of 1 Samuel, Saul, Saul got off track uh, drastically by, by uh, choosing to disobey Samuel. Samuel, uh, and by that, disobeying God. Samuel had promised Saul, hey, go go to this camp. I will be there. I will come, and we will offer sacrifices to God. And, and uh, Saul didn't, didn't wait. He, he got bored and people were restless and he was like, you know what, let's just do this thing. I'm just going to go ahead and offer these sacrifices. I don't know who needs Samuel, right? So, so he, he chose what was convenient or what was expedient in the moment. It was easiest for him to just do the sacrifices himself rather than continue to wait for Samuel who wasn't coming. But what was, God was doing was teaching Saul patience at that point and trusting God. And so when Samuel, uh, Saul, Samuel came and saw that Saul had done this, he, he said, you have disobeyed God. Um, And so he began this period of rebellion. In God's eyes, um, in God's eyes, rejecting Samuel's command was rejecting him. And then a few chapters later in 1 Samuel 15, it's more graphic in its example. Uh, Samuel shows very clearly what was convenient over what was uh, obedient. Uh, and in this case, he God had commanded uh, Samuel to, uh, or Saul to go and to, um, to destroy the Amalekites. Uh, the Amalekites were a violent enemy evil, pagan people who had plagued the people of God and had fought against them. Um, and and uh, uh, God says to Saul, go and destroy them. Go wipe them out. And by the way, I want to make sure that you're not motivated by plunder, even though they've got some wealth and they've got some flocks. I want you to devote it all to destruction, burn it all. And the reason for that is because he did, He wanted to make sure that, that what Saul was doing was not for his glory. Saul, what Saul was doing was not so that he could in, in, enrich himself or boast about himself. He was being obedient to the Lord to help establish uh, God's people in God's land. But what he did was, instead of destroying uh, all of all the Amalekites, he, he, he destroyed uh, the people, but then chose, he looked and saw all their wealth and all their flocks, and he kept them and kept the king. And I suspect, based on the fact he kept the king, he probably kept some of the servants as well. Um, and and who knows why he kept the king alive, maybe for boasting, uh, make himself feel good, maybe to just use him as a personal slave so that he could boast about that. Um, and, and so he chose to do what was convenient in that moment to say, oh man, look at all these flocks, look at all this wealth. Like, we're going to waste this? Seriously? Uh, no, I think God wants us to have this. And so he chose to, the convenient over the obedient. And, and it tells us something really important that the very next thing that Saul did, the very next thing Saul did was to build himself a memorial. It says he built a memorial for himself. So Saul, at this point, was living uh, in, in, in disobedience to God, choosing what was expedient or convenient in the moment and refusing to obey God. And Samuel calls him out in 1 Samuel 15, and 23. Has the Lord has great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? So, so when Samuel confronted Saul, he said, oh, well, you know, I kept all these animals so we could sacrifice them. You know, we could have this huge offering to God. So Samuel calls him out. Has the Lord a great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination and presumption is an iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. So this was God really coming down on Saul. He had chosen uh, what was convenient rather than being obedient. Um, And and I want to challenge us in this. Uh, We may choose convenience over expedience, but we don't get to fool God in doing that. Our convenience over obedience, but we don't get to fool God in that. So God, we, we may, we may uh, say, oh, well, you know, God, I kind of did this for you. I kind of disobeyed your law so that in a roundabout way, I could honor you and I could live for you and I could serve you. And God says, no, you, you might fool yourself. You might convince yourself that what you're doing in this moment is good, but you don't get to convince God of that. God has spoken and he has said something is, is uh, he has said what is right and what is wrong. The real test of obedience to Jesus, listen, is not when it's easy and convenient, but when it costs us something. That's the real test, right? I mean, it's easy when, when it doesn't cost us anything, but when, when it actually costs us something, that's when obedience is tested. And Saul failed. Choosing not to have sex with your girlfriend or boyfriend outside of the covenant marriage God has established is easy. Is, is choosing convenience over obedience. There's a cost to it though. Choosing to remain single while waiting for a Christian rather than simply dating anyone who happens to come along that looks good and seems good uh, is is costly. It costs you something, right? You're, you're You're continuing to endure in singleness, maybe while you even see other people get married and you're enduring in singleness. It's costly, it costs. For those who struggle with same-sex attraction or gender dysphoria, to, to choose to uh, follow Christ's will and get their identity from him and not from their, their, their sexuality or their gender identity, uh, that, that choosing to do that is costly. Choosing to, in your workplace, to be the person that refuses to, to fudge numbers, that refuses to step on other people, that refuses to, to play the game that your workplace games, uh, where, where it's pride and it's selfishness and it's me first and I will use you for myself. Choosing to not do that and choosing instead to walk in obedience to Christ is costly. Choosing to follow Christ in obedience is costly. Jesus didn't say, if anyone would come after me, let him take up his comfort and ease and follow me, right? What'd he say? If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. That that throws away convenience, right? Expedience, what, what I think is convenient or expedient. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. It's costly. Obedience to Christ is costly. The second contrast we see is outward versus inward. 1 Samuel 16, uh, verses 1 through 13. I'll follow along and listen to to how uh, God um, contrasts sort of looking from the outside and looking in. 1 Samuel 16, 1 through 13. The Lord said to Samuel, "'How long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel?' Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. So there's, <laughs> there, there's an issue right there, convenience. Uh, if I do go, I, I will die. If I, if I stay and I don't do what you're asking me to do, that sure is convenient for me to not die at Saul's hands. Um, And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Listen, Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, do you come peaceably? Remember Samuel was a a prophet and a judge. So he was a military leader. He was a dude who who got things done and like ruled. And there was was a little bit of fear of like, okay, have we done something wrong and you're going to smite us from from the Lord? Uh, And he says, peaceably, if I've come to sacrifice to the Lord, consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Now, from here on listen to the language of look and see verse, verse 6 when they came he looked on Eliab and thought this is Jesse's oldest son Eliab and thought surely the lord's anointed is before him so he was tall and good looking and he had all the charisma and sort of appearance of a king and this is the oldest son which you know fits all the uh, checks all the boxes of this is the man But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel and he said neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by and he said neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel and so Samuel said to Jesse the Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse are all your sons here? He's, and he said there remains yet the youngest, but behold he is keeping the sheep. In other words he is he is our our servant. He is uh, he's the one who who we make do all the hard tasks. And Samuel said to Jesse, "Send and get him, uh, for we will not sit down till he comes here." And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and has beautiful eyes, had beautiful eyes and was handsome. But remember, this was not why the Lord anointed him; he just happened to be attractive. Arise and anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. So the Lord alone has capacity to observe and look past the outward and see the inward heart. The heart meaning the motivations, the emotions, the thoughts that we have. And David didn't have a good heart so that God loved him, right? This wasn't like, hey, you know, look, David's worked his heart into being a good heart. No, David, you got to remember, David was raised in a in a Jewish family. And, and based on what we see, was raised to worship God and follow God. And he had a heart for God. He had, God had met uh, David at a young age and had walked with David to this point. This wasn't the beginning of David's God's relationship with David. David, God knew David long before. I know we just saw um, that God cares about obedience, right? But the outward in the sense of obedience, but he doesn't care about obedience without the right heart and the right motivation because outward obedience without inward affection is hypocrisy. Outward obedience without inward affection for God is is hypocrisy. And this is the, the chief thing that Jesus called out in this world. Honestly, if you were to look at the number of verses he dedicates to this, there's there is a calling out of those who would follow God, would o- obey God, right? Would do all the right things out here, but whose heart is not for God. We live empty lives of self-deception all the while appearing to know and follow Christ. And, and in fact, it's God who looks at our heart and he sees. And that's why, because we're not going to be able to keep all this together. We're not going to outwardly be able to be perfectly obedient to God at all times in all places, right? And so it's it's a, it's about the heart that God is nurturing within us, leading to greater obedience in life. And the problem is, how often do we choose to focus on outward conformity versus inward affection? Seriously, how much time, this is just, challenge you as a Christian, how much time do you dedicate to, to your inward affection for Christ versus your outward obedience to Christ? And we tend to think God is just pleased if I, well, I did my quiet time today. Oh, I spent, you know, I did this nice thing. Oh, I said that. Oh, I didn't do this today. Oh, I didn't do this sin, my sin, my struggle. I didn't do that today. So look, God must be happy. Instead of understanding that all of those things are meant to flow out of inward affection. And this is much harder to do. I'm, I'll be honest, you know, I've been at this thing for uh, 30 years, Christian, um, and I can do some outward obedience. I can, it's, it's, you know, some of it's a habit, right? But, but the inward affection is harder. Inward affection, keeping my heart warm in Christ is, is a harder thing to do because it requires faith. It requires focus. It requires walking with the spirit, right? It requires all those things and it's much easier I'm saying this, much easier just focus on doing the right thing out here sometimes, right? Than it is to focus on your heart. God's ways are not our ways, which is why we need a new heart from God, from Christ, which is, which is what Christ comes in. He gives us new heart, a heart of affection for God. But then we can end up losing focus on that, losing a focus on the gospel, and, and instead focus on outward obedience. And you know What? you'll get affirmation from other people for it. You'll get affirmation from other people and you can fool other people and you get other people to like you and think that you're a good person. But when your heart is not for God, that's what God cares most about. Because obedience will always follow affection. Obedience will always follow your affections. And that brings us to the final contrast here. So God looks at the inward. We tend to focus on the outward. And the final contrast is self-sufficient versus spirit dependent. Self-sufficient versus spirit dependent. This whole section includes the contrast between Saul who was given the spirit of God, but then chose in his own wisdom and in his own power to rule the way he thought was best. And we're gonna see this like, through the rest of this story, uh, because it's years before David ascends to the throne. He's anointed, but he, it's years before he ascends to the throne. And what we see is Saul melting down. And it's because he chose early on to withdraw from following Christ, uh, from following God fully and lived a self-sufficient, self-centered life. And what we're going to see is David, as the new king, lived a life full of the Spirit. Look at verses 13 and 14, maybe the biggest contrast in the whole story. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose and went to Ramah. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. So the Spirit filled David, but left Saul. And it wasn't because the Spirit wasn't there for Saul. The Spirit was available. Paul, Saul had just chosen to 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 quench the Spirit. Right? He had chosen to reject the Spirit to to not be led by the Spirit, but chose to lead himself and choose to chose to do what was uh, in his best interest in the moment and not in obedience to God. But but David on the flip side, is now filled with the Spirit. And while he does sin, we'll see him sin. He, he, he doesn't sin and stay in sin. There's repentance, there's restoration there. Um, so how easy is it for you and I to be self-sufficient? Seriously. Like, what is it? What would change this week if the Holy Spirit left you? How would your, how would your week change? Or let me put it another way. What can you not do this week if the spirit was not in you, as a Christian, and and I would argue that this reveals some of our 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 issue of of being self sufficient. Our our culture rewards self sufficiency. Our culture rewards self dependence. Our culture rewards that 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 person who can do for themselves and who can get things done themselves. But what I'm arguing, I'm not even saying on the outside that it may not look like you get things done, but on the inside. Are you walking in dependence on the Spirit, or are you just leaning into your own gifting? Are you leaning into your own abilities? Are you leaning into your own discipline? You know, I know we just finished this series on the Holy Spirit, so I won't dwell on it, but I'm convinced that we don't walk in dependence on the Spirit for a few reasons. One is it makes us feel weak. It does, it it makes us feel weak, feeling like we need to get up in the morning. We really need to get up in the morning and say, spirit, fill me today. Fill me today or I will not be able to walk with you. Fill me today or I will give in to sin. Fill me today or I will not love others. Fill me today or I will walk in anger. Fill me today or I will not have forgiveness. Fill me today or I will go off track and I will hurt people and I will profane your name. Right? Do we pray that way? Zechariah 4, 6 is a famous verse, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And the question is, do we really believe that or we just believe that's a nice verse for a coffee cup? Do you believe that you are truly dependent on the spirit this week to fight sin, to love God, to love others well, to live on mission in his name? So, it makes us feel weak. Secondly, we are fearful of how the spirit will lead us. So we're, we're, we're afraid it makes us feel weak when we pray that way. Uh, and, and we're afraid of how the spirit might lead us if we do pray that way. And the spirit, what if the spirit asks you to talk to your coworker about Jesus? Seriously, like what if you know, you've prayed about it and you just know that he's leading you and now's the time and now's the moment and the context is there. What if you have to do that? What if the spirit calls you to do something hard or something you don't like? You see, fear often happens because we're looking at ourselves and our own resources. Spirit dependency means looking to the spirit and his resources. And the final reason I think we don't walk in spirit dependence is we're choosing the the, convenience over obedience. And the spirit's gonna mess with that. We don't want the spirit to mess with our idols. If work has become an idol for you, then then walking in spirit dependence will will cause you to see that. Will cause you to see that and and will cause you to reorient some things there and maybe reprioritize some things there. But you don't want to do that. And so you don't. We don't want the spirit to put his finger on our sin and, and, and call us to put that sin to death. We love our sin. We've become comfortable with our sin. And so we don't focus on the spirit because the spirit will call that out. So what is God wanting to do in your life? In and through you, through the Spirit. You know, David was dependent on the Spirit because he was about to start a journey where his life was in danger. His future was unsure. There were points where it looked like he was going to die uh, at the hands of Saul. It, it, it looked like he, all hope was gone, right? But, but the Spirit was with him. God had a purpose and a plan for David. He has a purpose and a plan for us in following Christ. David was flawed, but the king, the good news is the king that he pointed to was not. You see, Jesus always chose obedience over what was convenient. Jesus always chose to focus on an inward affection spilling out into outward obedience. And he always we see this at his baptism, the spirit descending on him. The spirit walked with Christ through his whole ministry, through the struggles and through facing death on your behalf and on my behalf. And this is where our hope lies. And this is the invitation for us today. Not to, not to well, you know, I'm just going to try to be more obedient. That's what I'm going to do. And, and, and God, God appreciates that. It's good. You should want to be obedient, but you can't do it on your own. You need Christ. Well, you know, I want to focus on the inward affection for Christ. Okay, that's good. But but you need to depend on Christ even for that. Pursuing Christ. Stir my heart towards you, God. And living in spirit dependence is not a flipping a switch. It is, it is throwing yourself on Christ saying, I don't walk in dependence. I need your spirit to fill me so that I can walk with you. That's the invitation today. Let's pray together. Jesus, as we, we come before you, we, we thank you that you are the great king that we all need, we all long for, but you don't simply rule over us. You gave your life for us to redeem us from sin and from our self-dependence and from our disobedience. Free us today, Father, that we might live lives of obedience, lives marked by our inward affection for you lives dependent on your spirit. Help us, Jesus. For your sake, we pray. Amen.